from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in Giants fans to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, and as we head into an unprecedented NFL season with all of the unknowns surrounding COVID-19, the testing protocols, whether they're going to be able to start or finish a season, this is going to be an NFL season and a Giants season unlike any other. And it's quite fitting then that as we begin training camp for the New York football Giants and as we begin a new era of the Talk is cheap podcast that i bring in my brand new colleague my good friend zach rosenblatt and eagles fans and nfl fans you might know zach from his time hosting the no huddle show on nj.com as he moves over from covering the eagles to joining me on the giants beat zach happy to talk to you how are you today i'm i'm doing great man i I think it's pretty it seems pretty fitting that uh my debut with the giants is like in the craziest season that you know the NFL, the weirdest, just the weirdest offseason the NFL has ever dealt with. We might not even be able to record this podcast in person at all this year, which so we might not have our first in person podcast for quite a while, which is pretty insane to think about. But yeah, you know, just you, you touched on a little bit. I covered the Eagles for the last two years. I replaced you on the Eagles beat over there and on the No Huddle Show. Um, I'm excited to come over to the Giants, even if most of it won't actually be happening in person. We'll, we'll eventually uh, get be able to go to training camp in like a weird capacity where we can barely see anything. But uh, this is kind of the, the 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 hand we're being dealt this year, as is Joe Judge, which we're going to get into, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah no I'm really, doubt about it. I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. And certainly has, as your transition has been kind of, um, I, I would say, unprecedented in terms of having to cover an offseason where free agency was kind of truncated. You had the virtual NFL draft and the Giants were great about giving us access to Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman on draft weekend. And a lot of that, the biggest change there was, you know, talking to these guys via Zoom meetings, just like everybody was conducting work in general through Zoom meetings and virtually for months and months. And some people still are during the pandemic. You move over from the Eagles beat to the Giants beat at a time where they're not just transitioning to a new head coach and a new scheme and the dawning of the Daniel Jones era as he's the starting quarterback week one this year, which is kind of a departure of how he entered the league as the number six overall pick a year ago and didn't make his starting debut until week three. You come over with all of this tumult, all of this turnover, and certainly it's going to be uh, a unique start to the season. And I think that while we both hope the NFL can get started and get up and running. I think that what we learned this week with the, you know, wrath of the opt-outs and some of the things that are happening with players testing positive for the virus, David Sills, the Giants' lone wide receiver to do so, this could be a little bit of a herky-jerky start to training camp and the regular season as we go along. Yeah, uh, that's kind of interesting. Like, we kind of have to, as reporters, we kind of have to almost approach it like the NFL is in that we have to write our stories as if the season's going to start. We're still covering all the COVID stuff, but we have to approach it in the way that like we're doing all these training camp storylines and these season storylines and how judge is going to look in his first year and is Daniel Jones ready to take the mantle and will Saquon stay healthy as he goes into like a new contract. But the reality is like, there's a very real chance that the season starts late it starts and stops. It gets canceled. They play every game, or like we, they lose Saquon Barkley for three weeks because of the because he tests positive or is in close. Like there's just so much unknown 
that it's almost like too much for the brain to grasp to the point that we kind of have to just assume everything is just going to be a normal season. And that's kind of how we've been writing. And, you know, we, we're, we're trying to do our best to cover it from all angles, but you know, it's, it's very difficult this time, especially when we, I mean, I, I, so the other day I went out to a workout where Jabril Preppers and Darnay Holmes are there. I only got to talk to Darnay and I was thinking about it. Uh, Darnay, the fourth round pick from UCLA, the corner who's going to play a lot. We'll talk about him later. I'm sure. Um, I talked to him in person and that's, I mean, we, we had our masks on and there was distance and all that stuff, but it's probably going to be the last in-person interview I do until 2021. Right. Like I, it's just the, yeah. just the, the unknown part. And, and we brought, maybe this is a good transition into talking about Joe judge now, like he's had, you know, the weirdest indoctrination into being a head coach out of anybody. He's the most unique situation too, because he's never out of all the new coaches, because he's never been a head coach at any level. He's never called plays at any level. He has a young quarterback, completely new staff, completely new system. This is a young roster. They added a lot of new players. Like everything is stacked against him to the point where if he comes out of this and the giants are even average this season, like he deserves coach of the year discussion. Like that's the level of weirdness. This is. Yeah, I'm going to be really fascinated by this, Zach, because you think about when Joe Judge was hired, and I remember doing a podcast with Daryl Slater, who, by the way, is still going to chip in on Giants coverage and still covers the NFL for us at NJ.com. But I remember doing a podcast immediately after Judge was hired and then going out and talking to special teams coaches and Mike Dick and, you know, reaching out to people who played for Dick Vermeil about kind of that evolution of former special teams coaches and what makes them successful head coaches. I mean, John Harbaugh won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. Dick Vermeil took the Eagles to a Super Bowl in 1980, eventually won one a decade and a half later with the Los Angeles Rams. You know, one of the things that everybody talked about was that if you're a special teams coach, you have the experience talking to every position group, wide receivers, linebackers, defensive linemen, offensive linemen, the kickers, the punters, the specialists. You're used to standing in front of the room. And I know you have a story coming up on the site in a couple days where we're now 200 days into Joe Judge's tenure, Zach, and he's yet to speak in front of the team, which was arguably one of the biggest selling points to hiring him is that experience leading a room, being the quote unquote adult in the room and really taking that experience of leading entire team discussions to now being the CEO, quote unquote, of a football team. And he hasn't had the opportunity to do that during a rookie mini camp, during an offseason program, because all of those things were wiped off the map. And even now, as training camp begins, the Giants are one of the few teams in the league taking 90 players into the start of training camp. They're going to have to split their group into two at MetLife Stadium, two different sets of practices, two different sets of weightlifting, two different sets of meetings. So who knows? It could be August or even early September, Zach, before Joe Judge gets to speak in front of the entire team. Yeah, you know, that that's kind of the crazy – like you, you talked about the special teams part. You know, a lot of people I've talked to around the league or that have been coaches in the NFL, they, they point to like, all right, well, the special teams guy, he stands in front of the team and he talks to them. Like So Bill Belichick gave him the leeway to do that too, which is why I think he was kind of such a highly regarded candidate in the Giants building. So he's, he, he's uh, built for this in that respect. But yeah, like you said, like – it's he's talked about establishing a culture and it's hard to do that via zoom and that's going to be a challenge he's gonna have to deal with i think he's handling all things a smart in the smart way you know i was kind of skeptical of him in the beginning to be honest just the way he was handling you know press and how he wouldn't mention anybody by name and you know he's kind of giving cookie cutter answers and as he's gotten more comfortable i think he's learned quickly on the job and uh and i think he's done a lot of smart things he pretty clearly had his hand in the draft i think the draft if you look at who they drafted and what positions they play and all that it kind of looks like a a belichickian type of uh, approach 
Oh, and, yeah, for sure. And I think that one of the things you can talk about him and the coaching staff having influence over the draft, you talked about Darnay Holmes. Look at the positions they targeted in the draft with linebackers, with Cam Brown and TJ Brunson and Carter Coughlin, cornerbacks with Darnay Holmes and Scott Williamson, or Chris Williamson, rather, out of Minnesota. And of course, Xavier McKinney, the safety slash defensive back out of Alabama. It's almost as if, Zach, this coaching staff looked at the bottom of the depth chart, the Sam Beals, yeah. the Corey Ballantines, the Grant Haley's and said, you know, this just isn't going to cut it. They looked at the linebacking core and they already moved on from Alec Ogletree and Kareem Martin. They brought in via free agency Kyler Fackrell and Blake Martinez. It's like there were certain position groups on defense where this coaching staff said, what we have is not adequate. We need to get younger. We need to get more talented. And as we watch these practices unfold in the next month, that's what I'm going to be watching is how are the reps in practice divvied up between the quote unquote old guard of young players players, the Haley's, Ballantines, David Mayo's, if he's healthy, Ryan Connolly, and the new guard of young players with Holmes, McKinney, Brown, Brunson, and Tay Crowder and the rest. Yeah. And, and then another interesting part about Judge's influence to tie into like the free agents they went after, most of them either played for the Patriots or have like ties to this coach, like Cam Fleming, Deion Lewis, Nate Ebner, were all in New England. Blake Martinez and Kyler Fackrell both played for Patrick Graham in Green Bay. So you're, you're seeing him like add a lot of guys that kind of like understand the culture and the message that he wants. And he, even the guys they drafted, they're coming from coaching staffs that, you know, they're, they're my way or the highway types like Chip Kelly, uh, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. Like these are all guys that are kind of coming into an environment that they should be familiar with, which I think is really smart. And another thing smart thing judge is doing is he's not putting too much even on his own plate. He's giving the offense to Jason Garrett. He's giving the defense to Patrick Graham. He's kind of going to be the overseer, which for a guy who this is his first head coaching job, I think it's really smart to like trust the people in your building too. Oh, for sure. And I think that the influence of Jason Garrett on that entire building is going to be pretty extensive because you, you look not just on the development of Daniel Jones, and I've written about this a few times on the site over the last couple of weeks and months, that you know you look at Dak Prescott's development, and he gets derided by a lot of fans and a lot of people. But you look at Prescott's numbers, you look at the track record, you can make a strong case that he's a top 15 quarterback in the league. And bringing Jason Garrett in as the offensive coordinator wasn't just to shepherd Daniel Jones to that level and oversee his development, but his head coach coaching experience, his success in Dallas, winning NFC East divisions, going to the postseason. That's a heavy-handed influence over Joe Judge in a similar way to the beat that you and I both used to cover when the Eagles hired Doug Peterson as a first-time head coach. They brought in Jim Schwartz, an experienced head coach, as his right-hand man. So you essentially have a head coach slash CEO and judge, a head coach of the offense in Jason Garrett, and a head coach slash assistant head coach of the defense in Patrick Graham. So you have a lot of experienced voices in in judges' ear in terms of how they're going to develop this program. And let me know what you think about this aspect of it, Zach. I, I think that Jason Garrett is really in the catbird seat here. And I think that he's in a really no-lose situation. Whereas if the Giants go out and have a top 10 offense in the league, they win nine games, they sneak into the playoffs as a wild card, he's going to be a hot commodity as the next head coach of a team uh, in 2021. He's going to be the hottest name on the coaching carousel. Whereas if things go poorly, and if Judge seems like he's in over his head, now a lot of this might change given the uncertainty of this season and everything they have to navigate. But if things go poorly over the next two years... But the offense plays well, you know, Jason Garrett could be the next head coach of the New York football giants. Yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, who knows whether it was 
John, I know John Mara was really high on Jason Garrett. He was a Giants backup quarterback here. I'm sure there was some influence on that decision of him bringing him in. And I think, like you said, it makes a lot of sense in the Jim Schwartz sense of having a guy here who knows how it works. And you're, you're right. I didn't even think about it in that regard about how it's a no-lose situation for him. But you can even look at it, you know, from the player's perspective about Jason Garrett. You know, Saquon Barkley should be re- wetting his appetite right now because I think he's going to get the ball a lot. And I think this guy like Evan Ingram is going to get the ball a lot with Jason Garrett calling the plays. And it's going to be interesting. You know, there there's a lot of like jokes and negativity thrown in Jason Garrett's direction just from his time in Dallas was so strange. But people forget that he hasn't been calling plays there since 2012. Um, I know, you know, he claps a lot and he's made some strange decisions in terms of, you know, punting the ball away when they should go for it or running in on third down or whatever it may be. But the Giants and the Cowboys offense is almost always in the top 10 to 15 range with him in terms of production. Um, And again, you know, Jerry Jones. Yeah, go go for it. I was going to say, not so bold prediction here. I I think that with an improved offensive line and a philosophy that features the running game, Saquon Barkley has to be an odds on favorite to be the rushing champion if he stays healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and And another factor I was about to say is that, you know, Jerry Jones has way more influence on what the Cowboys do than any GM slash owner in the NFL in terms of like, he's going to, they're going to run the plays that Jerry Jones wants them to play. Not, not that Jason Garrett says. So he was kind of like, you know, positioned there because Jerry Jones liked him. Um, and I think we're really going to see, you know, maybe Jason Garrett is more creative than he was given credit for. We, we don't know that yet. And we're not going to know that, you know, for a while here, because especially because there's no preseason, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see a new Jason Garrett than what people are expecting, or he he reverts to form and is a disappointment, which the Giants have had many coaches that have disappointed in that way. But I'm a little more confident in his ability to be an offensive coordinator than a head coach, I think. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that when you look at what the Giants offense has a chance to look like, yes, I think it's going to be built in the ground and pound image that Dave Gettleman has tried to build out for the last two offseasons ever since drafting Saquon Barkley number two overall. But I think that when you look at overall in terms of the passing game, I think you're going to see a lot more two tight end sets because Caden Smith came on really strong over the second half of last year. I know the people in the building are very high on Smith as a playmaker in the passing game. You can kind of have that unpredictability of are they going to run or are they going to pass when you line up in a jumbo set with both of those guys, Ingram and Smith on the field, with Barkley in the backfield. And then you throw in a guy like Deion Lewis. And, you know, Zach, I think that having Barkley and Lewis on the field at the same time is something the Giants are probably going to do a pretty decent amount of because you can motion one of those guys into the slot and you still have a dangerous weapon in the backfield. You can put them both in the backfield and you have the unpredictability of are they going to run or are they going to pass? Who are they throwing it to? And in those you know 10 to 12 plays a game where Barkley's on the bench needing a blow, you have a, a, a proven, legitimate veteran running back in the game, which is something the Giants have kind of lacked the last couple of years. So in terms of the offense, what I'm going to be watching are the two tight end sets and how they use them with Smith and Ingram and just how unpredictable they have the chance to be with this new look backfield. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I think you and I have both been critical of them not getting any receivers really of any sort of value this offseason, which I think is fair. Like they don't have a number one guy, but I think top to bottom that like Daniel Jones is surrounded by some really good weapons between, you know, Darius Slayton, who I've talked to some people who think he's going to be a star if he's not almost already there. You know, Golden Tate's reliable. Sterling Shepard, when he's healthy, is one of Jones's favorite targets. Evan Ingram, if he can ever stay healthy, is up there. You have Caden Smith, Saquon, and Deion out of the backfield. Like, the pieces are all in place for Daniel Jones and Jason Garrett to, like, kind of get creative. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that looks. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. And to bring up Daniel Jones, he's kind of the, the spoon that stirs the drink, so to speak, right? And, you know, there's so much to be made about his rookie season and the turnovers, but there are a lot of positive things. You look at his numbers a year ago, um, you know, he completed 62% of his passes, over 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 picks, and 87.7 passer rating in 13 starts. There was a lot to like. And we both have talked to a lot of people around the league. I spoke to uh, an offensive coach in the NFC this week who told me that all he needs needs to do is win that it's not fair to judge a quarterback by wins and losses but that's how it works in the NFL but in terms of watching his film and what this coach saw up close and personal of him a year ago he believes Daniel Jones is on the cusp of becoming a franchise quarterback this year a scout that I talked to in the AFC said that you know all he has to do is play within the system that this system is built to develop quarterbacks and that his acumen his accuracy his skill set his arm strength his mobility all of those things are there in place for him to become a franchise quarterback and people talk about Zach if the Giants can surprise it t- surprise the league this year maybe sneak into the playoffs or defy expectations it all starts and ends with Daniel Jones and there's a lot to like and a lot to be optimistic about there yeah I, well I th- it's a lot of pressure for what 23 he's 23 years old so it's a lot of pressure for a 23 year old but the reality is like the future of this franchise is on the shoulders of him and how he plays the season is going to go a long way towards determining how that future looks and whether they win more than four games this year. Like it's all on him. He can't turn the ball over as much, all that. The potential is obviously there. I think everybody has realized a year later that that number six, maybe even if they picked him higher than they needed to, uh, it wasn't so bad of a pick. Cause I, I think if you talk to people around the league, they're pretty high in him, even if like there's still some people who are concerned or whatever, but, uh, it, and then beyond that, we can, we can now like tie this into training camp. I, I've been really impressed by the way he's kind of tried to take on that leadership role this offseason. You know, he's, he's gathered a lot of the guys yeah. for workouts. There was the one in Texas. He's, he did in New Jersey recently. And I've heard that he's really kind of like just become more vocal. He's not like a talkative guy and he's not going to be someone who's going out. I mean, nobody should be going out clubbing this year, but he's not going to be someone who's like going out clubbing with his teammates or anything like that. But I think there's not someone you have to worry about the phone ringing at 3 a.m. If you're Joe Judge yeah. or Dave Gettleman. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, like how, like what I think one of the top storylines in training camp is to see how that manifests itself because he's going to have to, in a short time, they're only going to be in pads uh, for like a, less than two weeks, basically. <coughs> Excuse me. So he's really going to have to build up that. That's part of the benefit of, of them bringing back all the same receivers. And I'm sure they thought this was that if it's all the same faces, then he already has some built-in chemistry and they can build from there as opposed to, you know, bringing in a bunch of new guys. But how do you feel about Daniel Jones as, you know, as like the top training camp storyline? Oh, I think it's the top storyline of the entire season, of the entire trajectory of the Giants franchise, right? Because if he comes out this year and pushes for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and the Giants go 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six and surprise some people, then I think Dave Gettleman has some more leeway here, right? And I think there's a lot of reason to believe that he's going to be able to do that because everybody talks about the offensive line and the inconsistency the last couple of years. They go out and they draft Andrew Thomas, number four overall. You have the potential now to move Nate Solder to right tackle and maybe that alleviates some of the concern after he gave up 56 pressures and 11 sacks last year and just was an abject disaster for much of the season. So I think that everything is in place with the supporting cast and the offensive line for Jones to make that leap and you look around the league, Zach, Carson Wentz leads the Eagles to the cusp of a Super Bowl in his second year. Jared Goff in his second, in his third season, you know, leads the Rams to a Super Bowl. So the Patrick Mahomes in his second 
second season, his first season as a starter, takes the Chiefs to an AFC Championship game. Lamar Jackson MVP season. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, these these leaps that these young quarterbacks make, they happen in year two. And I think that Jones has the pieces in place to get there. And, you know, if this scheme is as quarterback friendly as a lot of people make it out to be with Jason Garrett, then there's really no reason why he won't make that leap. And what I was really impressed with when we had the chance to talk to him via Zoom earlier this spring, Zach, remember when he talked about how he gathered Dallas Cowboy tape from the last couple seasons and it was studying the Cowboys offense. That's the kind of initiative that quarterbacks take when they're looking to become the leaders of their franchise and take that step from promising rookie to great talent. And I think that everything is there for Jones to do it. And just like everything else this season, it's going to come down to the offensive line play and him putting the work in the offseason into action during the 16 weeks of the year. So, so I have an interesting question for you. So I, uh- Jones is like obviously the number one, like most important player for their success this season. And I guess you probably could say Saquon is number two, but like who, who's the the third guy that you're like, that this guy needs to have a great season if the Giants are going to play well. I don't think that it's necessarily anyone obvious. It's probably someone on defense. And I think that's kind of like the overall issue they have on defense is that they don't have like a blue chip guy necessarily that we can point to yet. But like who, who's the guy that, that jumps to mind for you as like he needs to step up this year or they're going to win five games again. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you talk about the defense, I think the one blue chip foundational player they have is Dexter Lawrence. And, you know, I surveyed GMs, talent evaluators, personnel executives, coaches, scouts, and several people told me that Dexter Lawrence is their second best player. But I'm going to surprise you here, Zach. I'm going to throw a little curveball at you in terms of my answer. I think the guy that needs to step up, honestly, is Darius Slayton. Because, yes, he came on and he defied expectations as a fifth-round pick a year ago, had the eight touchdowns, over 700 yards receiving, developed chemistry with Jones early and built on it often later in the year. But when you sit out an elite draft class at the wide receiver position with a second-year quarterback and your big marquee free agent addition at wide receiver is bringing back Corey Coleman – that's a, a ringing endorsement and a vote of confidence in Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, in my opinion. So to me, it, when you look at the quarterbacks we mentioned, whether it was Mahomes, Wentz, Goff, these quarterbacks that made the big leap from year one to year two, Lamar Jackson winning MVP in year two, they have Hollywood Brown in Baltimore. They have speed galore around Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. The Eagles went and got Alshon Jeffrey in year two, a veteran, reliable presence at wide receiver that they didn't have in Carson Wentz his first season. So to me, Zach, if the Giants are going to reach their potential offensively and if Jones is going to reach closer to his ceiling in year two, I think Slayton has to be the guy who steps up and is that 1,200-yard receiver, 8-12 to touchdown catching target because they didn't go and get that guy for Jones in the offseason. Yeah, and in a sim- like not to keep sticking, we'll we'll talk about the defense more in depth in a, in a in a moment, I'm sure. But another guy that like I have an eye on in terms of like he needs to step up this year, I think is pretty obviously Evan Engram also. Um, totally. Like I mean, so the talent is under. I, I write. I feel like I write the same thing every time I write about him because it's the only thing you could say. The first sentence is always if he stays healthy because the guy doesn't stay healthy. He's missed I believe 13 games the last two years. Missed one his rookie year. When he plays, like he's one of the most dynamic offensive weapons in the league. Um, he's four, runs a four point four forty. He can line up all over the line of scrimmage. He just doesn't stay healthy. And you know, this is an offense built to have a, a star tight end, and he could be that guy. But they need him to stay on the field. And if he can stay on the field, then he'll get paid quite a bit of money when he when he's up for it uh, after next year. 
because they, they extended his fifth year option um, or they, they'll try and trade him if he doesn't do that. Cause he seems like a pretty good trade candidate. If, if they like Caden Smith as much as they seem to be telling people. Um, and, and I'm just very curious to see how that goes this year. You know, he, he seems like he's healthy now based on the way he's been working out. And I think uh, he reported uh, to get tested for COVID uh, yesterday. Yeah. And it's interesting when you look at the way they handled him, they could have assigned him to an extension this offseason. They chose instead to just apply the fifth year option, which is a smart business move. But I think the Giants have a lot of the same concerns that you and I do. It's can this guy stay healthy? He's never played a 16 game season in his career. Last year, he had the Liz Frank sprain. Um, There are just issues with him, it seems, every single year. And I think that when you look at the scheme and and Jones, listen, I mean, let's rattle down the list again. Wentz has Zach Ertz. And in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes has Travis Kelsey. We could talk about the deep threat and the speed and all that matters. I think that you need that security blanket Safety tight valve, end yeah. for a young quarterback. And Ingram, I think, has the talent to it. And if he can stay healthy, then, then boy, is he going to make a lot of money next offseason, especially in this scheme. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, the defense – there's definitely more concerns on the defense than the offense, I would say, like by a long shot. Um, and th- like, there's a lot of guys I'm like high on their potential, but they need to like show that they can be the guy like Jabril Peppers clearly is like a, you know, freakish athlete, versatile, can do a lot of things. Didn't really stay healthy last year. He made plays, but not, you know, they need him to make more because he was the centerpiece of that Odell Beckham trade. You know, they paid a lot of money for James Bradbury, who has covered top receivers the last couple of years and done a pretty good job. I don't think anybody considers him like a star corner, but they need him to be that, especially because that corner got back group, especially now that DeAndre Baker is either not going to be on the team or will be suspended for a while. He's on the commissioner's exempt list. So you're going to be relying on Sam Beal and Darnay Holmes probably to be starters. And that's, you know, however high they are on them, that's a really hard, tall task for for rookie and a guy who has barely been healthy. Um, Xavier McKinney. Or you could see yeah. you could see Julian Love in that role. Yeah, when yeah Julian Love. Well. Who showed some flashes last year as well? Yeah, I mean, I mean, he might be the he might be like a fun like third safety nickel corner like type hybrid type guy, which I think they're going to be really creative with how they use their guys. And then Blake Martinez, they paid a lot of money to get him when they could have got someone like Corey Littleton. And Blake Martinez is a very productive linebacker in terms of tackles, but he doesn't make many impact plays. And there's some questions about his abilities as a in coverage. You know, Ryan Connolly, they're high on coming off a torn ACL. Leonard Williams. It's been well-worn territory about how high Dave Gettleman is on him and how he's overpaid him and mismanaged that situation. He's a talented player. He can't have a half a sack for a whole season. Like, there's just – each player we're talking about has questions. And, you know, Xavier McKinney, they're going to be relying on him a lot, but he's a rookie. And you shouldn't – you know, they shouldn't have to rely on a rookie as much as they're going to. But, I I mean, I'm really high on him. And we've seen before how hard it is for defensive backs to make the transition from big-time college football to the NFL. It's, It's just a very difficult position to master early on. I like what they do with James Bradbury. I think he, you know, rates out as one of the best zone cornerbacks in the NFL, and I'd expect Patrick Graham to play a lot of zone coverage. McKinney, I think he's going to be – he has the potential – to be that ideal complement to a physical box safety like Jabril Peppers because you can drop him into the nickel. He can play center field. He can play man coverage. So I like what they've done in the secondary, but it's it's what do you do at right cornerback? Because even if DeAndre Baker were available, I, I don't know Which that question. he's yeah. – Yeah, I don't even know that he's a guy that you can rely on to be a dominant starting cornerback in this league. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was going to say like what. So there are two obvious like areas that I would say are maybe the biggest concerns on the team, um, along with the center. I would say probably uh, would be the number two cornerback, and then where their pass rush is coming from. So it looks like Marcus Golden is probably going to come back unless he just decides he doesn't want to play for the Giants, which you know it's possible. Um, 
and we haven't really heard if he's going to sign that uh, unrestricted free agent tender yet. Even if he's back, you know, this is still basically the same pass rush group as last year. They added Kyler yep. Fackrell, who had a good season two years ago with Patrick Graham, but he only one and a half sacks last year, and by the end of the year was barely playing. Um, you know, Shane Zimenez, I don't even, is that how you pronounce it? I don't even know. That's, you, know <laughs> you know what? Bonus points for you. It, it wow. took me months to figure out wow. how to. And, and most guessing. people, yeah, <laughs> most people didn't, didn't know how to pronounce uh, O'Shane Zimenez until at least the middle of training camp. I've had practice uh, saying Halapuli Vati Vaitai's name for the last two years. So yeah, uh, that was always but, a fun uh, one too. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so Zimenez, they're going to be relying on him. I think their goal is for him to be like their next great pass rusher, but he only had four and a half sacks last year and he's a fourth round pick. Lorenzo Carter was a disappointment last year. Sounds like Joe Judge really likes him. Um, and then they drafted Carter Coughlin in the seventh round. So they didn't really add anyone significant. And, you know, I've asked Dave Gettleman this question multiple times and we've talked to him and he always points, you know, it doesn't have to be one guy. You can have a lot of guys that do it. And, you know, it's sure, a team set thing. Yeah, exactly. They're expecting Leonard Williams, who's had one good season of sacks where he had seven and he had a half last year. Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence are run stoppers primarily so like I, the question becomes like where's where are the sacks coming from it's not really obvious and if there's no pass rush then that cornerback spot which is a very big concern they're i mean they're going to be targeting sam beal constantly like no even if there is a pass rush they're going to be thrown to that side of the field way more than the side of the field that bradbury's on and if there's no yeah, pass, rush, if there's no pass rush to help him out he's going to be in a lot of trouble so yeah, I agree. I think this is going to be the type of season where we see a lot of games ending in the 31 to 28, 37 to 31 type yeah. of realm because I just don't see this Giants defense being good enough up front to help the back end of the secondary. And it's a secondary that has been one of the, the most generous in the league over the last several years. So that, that's going to be something to watch defensively. But during training camp, Zach, as always, no matter where we're going to be watching from, position battles are going yeah. to take center stage. And there are a couple um, that jump to mind to me, more so on the offensive end versus the defensive end. And starting at offensive line, that's at center. And the Giants are in this really weird spot, right? Because they have a young quarterback. They don't have a young developmental center, unless you want to count Shane Lemieux, who's never played center at Oregon, but they're hoping to cross-train him there during training camp in this season. But you're looking at Spencer Pulley, who has experience with the Giants playing in that role in 2018. Nick Gates, who you're trying to convert from tackle to center, who people in that building are very optimistic about. Um, but but how do you see that battle playing out? Because it's almost like, again, you have the experience in Pulley versus the young upside in Gates. Yeah, I think the Giants were really hurt. That position maybe more than any other. They're hurt by the like the way this offseason is going because they clearly had it in their head that they're going to, they could convert a guy like Nick Gates who they're very high on, but he's not going to have any offseason work with his team playing a position he's never played outside of practice. He's not going to have a preseason. So the, his first like real snap in theory would be in week one. So that makes a guy like Spencer Pearl Pulley, who, who is a veteran and has done it before, but also isn't been very inspiring when he has played. Like, it's not like he's a good center. There's a reason why, you know, I feel like they were probably going to cut him to save the money if if not for the pandemic, that they kind of need to keep him now. And so this kind of, you know, begs the question of why they didn't draft a center or sign. I know they were interested in Joe Looney, who wound up returning the Cowboys, but there were veterans on the market they could have gotten. Maybe they weren't inspiring, but that's just this is a like center is especially with a young quarterback is extremely important. They're calling out the protections and yep. and all that stuff. You know that they have they kind of have to alert the whole offensive line about what's going on and you know it, the, the bet, like you've mentioned the young quarterbacks most of them have had a center that has been with them the entire time or that has been so there there's, a, there's a blueprint there. here yeah. and yeah. the giant the, the giants seem to have they, they skipped that part of maybe it. 
Yeah, they might seem to have the A-frame and maybe the roof of the house if Jones develops into a franchise quarterback, but they don't have the support beams or the load-bearing beams or, or, or what you might need to help him reach his potential. Yeah, I mean, what they did was they got the best available offensive linemen in the draft, regardless of position kind of thing. I think that was clearly their approach. Yep. They got they got Andrew Thomas fourth. Uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious. I, I mean, I've seen some people speculate that he won't start right away. I think that's kind of bonkers. That's that's he's silly. he's that's going silly. to start. I would put him at left tackle. I, the way he's talking in interviews with the team website, he, they might, he's been training a lot of right tackle. I wouldn't do that if his long-term position is not right tackle, but I mean, he's going to be an upgrade over Mike Remmers from last year. He would be an upgrade over Nate Solder at left tackle. Um, then they got Matt Pert, who's, a, who's like a fun developmental tackle that you don't need to play for a year or two, uh, especially with Fleming in the building. And then they drafted Lemieux, who by all accounts is probably like his few, like people I've talked to think he's, he's a guard exclusively. The Giants are going to try and play him at center. They clearly just got a guy they really like. He's a big, strong guy who doesn't miss games. And you then they swing interior alignment. Yeah, you can line yeah. up either which guard is, spot or center, which you need that in terms of depth, but yes. to expect but to, to ignore center. One. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it's kind of like, and I wrote something about like if the Giants hadn't have traded for Leonard Williams and then overspent on him, like all the players they could have gotten instead, you could got like, so you could have got a draft pick, which. They might they would have been able to draft a center like a Matt Hennessy or a Lloyd Cushenberry, and then you could have used that money to sign a bunch of free agents. They decided not to even get any new centers into the building, like actual centers. So what's going to happen is is like Spencer Pulley, unless he has a really really bad camp, like it's his job to lose just because of the, by the virtue of him being the only one that's ever snapped the football in, in an NFL game. Yeah, and and watching that unfold is going to be pretty fascinating during camp. On the defensive side of the ball, we touched on this position a lot, but how do you see right cornerback and the nickel playing out? Because I think that when you look at the defensive line, your three starters are set, your linebackers are probably pretty set with Blake Martinez, Thackrell, and then probably David Mayo, and if he's healthy, Ryan Connolly. It's that issue at right cornerback and nickel where I think you could have some revolving chairs early on. Yeah, you know that – one, one thing I'm very interested to see is how they handle Darnay Holmes there. Because if they're going along the assumption that DeAndre Baker's not going to be playing this year for them, which it, I, my my guess would be that he doesn't. Um, you know, Darnay Holmes didn't have any nickel cornerback experience, but they drafted him to be a nickel corner, and now they need an outside corner. So I wonder, like, do you, do you really want to move a rookie back and forth in camp to see what he's better at? Or do you want him to focus on one spot? And if he's focusing on one spot, I'd probably put him at the nickel. But if he's better than Sam Beal on the outside, I would play him over Sam Beal on the outside. That's going to be interesting because it's going to be Darnay or Beal on the outside would be my guess. Um, and then on the nickel, it would be Darnay or Julian Love because I don't think Ballantyne or Grant Haley actually have a shot of starting. Maybe they can be the backup or whatever. But like that, that's kind of where I see it. And, and ultimately, I, I probably – if I had to put money on it, I would say Beal starts and Holmes starts and they use kind of Love in a rotational role between safety and corner where he can come in as like the extra defensive back. Yeah, I think that you're going to see Love probably take the first team reps early in camp at nickel, and you're going to have to see the kind of improvement as camp goes along in this truncated set of practices if Darnay Holmes can win that job. And that's where, you know, the coronavirus and the changes to training camp and with no offseason practices, you almost have to temper your expectations for a guy like Darnay, even for a guy like Xavier McKinney, who um, many believed was a first-round talent that the Giants were able to get in round two at number 
the 37 overall. But it's going to be really difficult for these guys to, A, figure out how to practice like pros, B, figure out this new system, and C, perform at a level that exceeds what you already have on the field. So I, I think that Darnay Holmes has the chance to compete for the nickel job, but I think if he starts week one, it's going to be because he stole the job away from Julian Love. I know the front office loves, pardon the pun, what Love was able to do down the stretch <laughs> last year. He showed that he can you know, be a little bit of a ball hawk in coverage. He's not afraid to be physical, can play safety, can drop into the nickel. So um, again, I think that when camp opens and maybe even week one, Monday night against the Steelers, whenever that is, I think Julian Love winds up as the starting nickel and then Sam Beal is your outside cornerback opposite Bradbury. Yeah, and, and that's kind of another reason why I think the Giants are in particular a tough spot because of the virus, you know, taking away the offseason basically and making it all virtual is that they were they were planning on relying on a lot of rookies and guys going to a different position this year. And now they're doing they're gonna be having to do that without like any practice field time or barely any yeah. because you know, so it's you know, you're gonna see, you know, they might have to settle for a Spencer Pulley at center or you know, a Sam Beal at corner just because they weren't prepared for, you know, they didn't ex- like, like the NFL. I think they didn't really, th- maybe they didn't think that this is going to be how the off season was going to play out. So now you're maybe playing guys that aren't as good as the rookies just because they're more ready. Like I, I I'm sure Joe judge, if he takes it, takes cues from Bill Belichick, he'll just play the best players. You know, you, you don't, you don't play a guy just because he's more experienced. You play the five best offensive linemen. You play the best three yeah. wide receivers. You play the best defensive linemen, the best linebacker. Like that's just, I think that's how it's going to go here. Cause that's my impression of him, but I, I agree. And then man, if Darnay Holmes can show that he's a starting caliber player week one of training camp or by week one of the regular season, then then more power to him. And that was another great pick by Dave Gettleman coming on the heels of getting Darius Slayton in round five last year. If that happens, then good for them. That that means the defense is probably going to be further along than we expected, because if if you're getting a guy who's a fourth round pick in homes up to speed and ready to play with no offseason, that kid's going to be a ball hawk. Yeah, and I, I I'm I'm pretty I, I mean I I've written a lot about him, but I like he he has the look of a guy who can be a really good corner. He's really athletic. Um, he had a bad junior year because he was banged up, but he was really good as a sophomore. He was like a five star recruit coming out of high school. He's really smart. Like I, I'm I'm he's a very intriguing prospect, and I think it was a they were the whole draft was value plays for them. Really, they picked guys that were supposed to go earlier. Xavier McKinney. I think they were planning on trading back from that pick, and then they saw a first round safety there, and they scooped him up. You know, Matt Perry, they really liked Lemieux was a value guy. And then all those guys in the last couple rounds were with an eye towards special teams and, you know, eye towards special teams. And I think value at the bottom of the depth chart that yeah. they wanted to turn over. Cause I, I, I just exactly. don't think that they, they saw the Ballantines and the Haley's and the Beals as long-term solutions as young players. Just like, I don't think that they saw the bottom of their linebacker depth chart as adequate um, starting caliber players in the NFL. But Zach, before we get out of here, we got to touch on the elephant in the room and, and that's the Deandre Baker situation. And you've been all over this story. It's been a wild story from day one. <laughs> He was added to the commissioner's exempt list on Monday, so he's not going to be taking part in any football activities at this point. And, you know, to me, the the decision will be made for the Giants in terms of keeping or moving on from DeAndre Baker by the legal system, right? If he is found guilty, then it's obvious the Giants will cut him. They'll recoup his money. If he's found not guilty, then they can decide whether it's worth bringing him back into this locker room where they can, quite frankly, go after his money, (laughs) which is one of the reasons why I think that the league put him on the commissioner's exempt list in the first place. One of the reasons why it's so difficult to like even predict how this will play out 
number one, it's not as simple as just cutting them because of the money part. Like the reality is the NFL is about money and they're not going to cut them unless they can be sure that they can get that money back. Cause you're lo- literally losing money if you cut them. So if yep. they cut them, they lose 2 million in cap space and they have a bunch of dead cap on those books. That's number one. Number two, like the whole guilty or non-guilty, like, of course, like that's going to play a factor in it. But the reality is this could take a while. Like these things are going to be appealed to death and the charges haven't like the charges are there, but they haven't even set a court date yet. So this could go on. Like I, I covered when I first came on the Eagles, Michael Bennett was accused of like shoving a old lady at the Super Bowl one year and in Houston. Th- yep. In Houston. And I think, I don't even think that case has been resolved yet. Like that's, that was <laughs> two years ago when that, when those charges came now. And I, I don't think, I think it's just been delayed to the point where they kept looking for evidence and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they have all the, with the, with the DeAndre Baker thing, there was the report in the Daily News a couple of weeks ago that they broke about how he's like being accused of being a part of an attempted cover up of paying off witnesses and all this stuff, which is a factor. So the Giants basically have to like look at all this information. They can't decide if he's guilty. They have to decide if it's enough to get rid of him and if they can get out of his contract. And the fact that he's on the commissioner's exempt list kind of gives them more time. It buys them time. They don't have to deal with him being on the roster necessarily. They told him to stay away. They didn't have to do that. He Because when you're on the commissioner's exempt list, you're allowed to be at the build, building and like rehabbing and all that stuff. But they said don't come, essentially, which I think might maybe say something about how they plan on approaching this. Um, it, wouldn't, it would still surprise me if you wore a Giants uniform this season, but crazier things have happened. And, you know, that, you know, what the, I guess the debate to have is whether this should be a black mark on Dave Gettleman's resume or not. Cause, you know, he came out with questions about his maturity. There wasn't any like legal stuff. There's questions and about his maturity. Work yeah. yeah. And, but at the same time, you can't really plan for a guy to, during a pandemic, to allegedly take a take a green bring a gun with him to a party and all the alleged things that allegedly happened allegedly 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 you have to say that um no, exactly no I, but, I agree with all that but the giants still knew of the the maturity and the work ethic red flags and drafted him anyway yep and began a run of cornerbacks taken in that and, and, and traded up for him one yeah. early round two and traded assets to go get him yeah exactly right yeah, and I mean, and you know that was viewed as he was being picked a little too early at the time. Anyway, like they they could have got greedy Williams, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. And they'd have two really good quality starting cornerbacks right now. So I mean, in ter- like the draft pick itself, I think even at the time was uh was questioned, but um yeah, I think it, it's a hard one to to discuss because there's just so much you know to consider there. And, and I, yeah. I'm very, I am very curious. This is going to be like a defining moment of Joe judge as a coach. You know, he decided to cut Aldrich Rosas. I think that was a much easier decision because Rosas wasn't very good and it didn't cost them money, which I'm sure is why they did that. Yeah. Uh, you, you wrote earlier in the off season about how, you know, people around the league think that like, if he wasn't a first round pick, he'd be gone already, which is the reality of the situation. But, you know, different players are treated differently based on their skills and or how much money they're making. And that's just the fact of the NFL. It's how the NFL works. Money makes the world go round, and that's one of the reasons why they're trying to trudge forward with a season with all of the TV money that yeah. is tied up and invested in the league that you're just not going to get the, the gate receipts and the ticket money. And And we'll see if this works out. We'll see if training camp can get up and running and start and finish. And I think we both hope they do. I think we both hope to have football in the fall. It's just going to be a lot different in terms of how we watch it and how people like you and I cover it. Yeah, man, it's going to be a wild ride. Um, it's, there's just so much unknown 
we're, we're going to try and bring you guys a weekly podcast. Our plan is to, to publish them every Wednesday as things happen or, you know, the giant, something crazy happens. We'll do emergency ones and whatever it takes. But um, I'm looking forward to doing the podcast, even if it's not in the, even though I, I prefer to be doing it in person with you at the Giants facility or whatever, but we'll have to take what we can get at this stay point. Away, stay away from me, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> six feet away. Wear, a ma- wear a mask and stay away. Yeah, um, so, so we'll have to do it from six feet away. I'll be shouting to you when I, what I'm saying and you'll just. <laughs> I, I love it. Before we get out of here, a couple questions um, from the Giants Extra Tech Service. Go to nj.com slash text to sign up there. A uh, question comes in, should the players be wearing masks during practice and during the games? Um, neither you and I are epidemiologists, but I, I've, <laughs> I've seen a lot of these helmet prototypes that have what appear to be N95 screens on the face mask. That seems like a no-brainer to me. I get it that breathing might be a little bit more difficult, but we're in the year 2020. You think there would be some sort of methodology or technology to allow that type of mask wearing to be comfortable and breathable during games. What do you think? Yeah, whether they should, like, yeah, they de- obviously they should, especially because in a sport where they're going to be in close contact. But the players, by the sounds of it, are not pro doing that. And so with the, you know, the NFLPA, uh, I think it's, it's going to be an optional thing is what I, I heard. I don't know if that's official or not, whether they were like, they'll get, they have to test it out in training camp or whatever. Um, my impression is they don't want to play with those things. I think JJ Watt was a big one who was talking about that. Um, so it's going to be interesting, you know, if if the, if they can't control on the field what they're doing, then what it'll come down to is these guys just have to be accountable when they leave the facility, and that that's my almost that's my, a bigger concern for me than even ha- what happens on the field. I'm going to wonder if there are going to be. You talk about stadiums, and the Giants have a minimum of, I believe, four locker rooms, you know, home team, visiting team, Jets team, and I think there's a, an auxiliary one for, like, entertainers enter, entertainers that come through. You look at the Lincoln Philly, you have the Temple locker room, the Eagles locker room, the visiting locker room. I'm wondering if you're going to need to see temporary locker room facilities built at each stadium to maintain social distancing, and I think you're going to have to see mask wearing in the locker room and on the sidelines. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're seeing in baseball. There's there's some players who are playing with masks on, or they're or they're having them on in the dugout and stuff like that. Um, I think baseball is kind of the one to watch with the NFL in general because they're not doing a bubble environment and um, they're traveling uh, to stadiums. So I yep. I think watching how ba- like we saw the Marlins thing, they're trying to contain that. The Marlins season is postponed right now. The Phillies aren't playing right now. Like I, I how baseball comes back from that. And then how the rest of the baseball season goes, I think that's what you should. Everybody should be keeping their eye on because that's kind of going to be a test case for the NFL, which has significantly larger rosters and more to consider, and it's yep. a contact sport and all that. So if baseball can't how do baseball it, then the NFL can't out. do it. Yeah, I agree. How baseball plays out is a harbinger for what the fall is going to look like. And, and and I wrote a story about how you know bubbles, whether it's in North Texas or California or Hawaii or anywhere in between, a bubble might be the best way to save the NFL season, but it doesn't look as if they're going to even attempt to go down that road. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, that would be, take a, a lot of planning and they clearly weren't planning for that. So that's not a thing that's going to happen. And the, there's just so many people in the NFL, like people, maybe, I don't know if everybody realizes it, maybe they do, but the rosters, just the active roster itself is 53 people, 16 practice squad players, all the coaches, staff, security, doctors, you know, chefs, there's just like, <laughs> it, it gets past a hundred at a certain point. Um, yep. And that you're not even supposed to have a hundred people in, in a closed in indoors right now in most States. So it's uh, that that's kind of like the, 
the thing looming over all of this. Like the NFL, you know, there's people are all reporting now, and you're going to see a lot of positive tests. And I, I don't think that's as big of a deal as if you see a lot of positive tests in a few weeks, and that'll mean guys are not doing what they're supposed to when they leave the facility. Exactly. That's going to be the test case is what happens after practices, between practices, when these guys are going home to sleep at home rather than in a bubbled hotel with the team. Zach, any parting shots, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm looking forward to doing this. You know, you should follow us, fo- follow us both on Twitter. I'm sure you guys already follow Matt. I'm at Zach Blatt, C-A-C-K-B-L-A-T-T. Uh, ask us questions. We'll get to them on the pod. Leave us comments. I'm um, looking forward to doing this. Uh, I've been enjoying the Giants beat so far, even if it's almost always, almost exclusively been away from the team. I did get to cover some games with you down the stretch last year when uh, Daryl had to uh, take some parental leave. And, you know, I got a little taste of what it's like up there. And, and it's a lot different than Philly. That's for sure. I think we both can say that. Oh, yeah. Buckle up. And <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I've had a lot of fun interacting with New York fans. It's a different group. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to the season, however it looks. Yeah, this podcast has been a lot of fun. As Zach said, we're going to bring it to you and try our best to bring it to you every Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. And if you like what you've heard, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. Check us out on YouTube, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher. And as Zach said, go ahead and follow him on Twitter, at Zach Blatt. We need to you know, increase and pump up his Twitter following. You can follow me, at Matt Lombardo NFL. That's at Matt Lombardo NFL. And the Talk is Cheap podcast is at Talk is Cheap NYG. Zach, a lot of fun enjoyed this i'm excited for next week all right man